Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown as always. I am your decoder, Simon. What happens here on this channel, on this podcast? One of my writers, thank you, Ilza, has written me a script, The Real Atlantis. That's the entirety of the title in front of me. I mean, this has got to be about, like, Atlantis and that ancient city that people think is, like, buried under the sea or some shit like that. But I don't think they've discovered that. I mean, like, some sort of historical Atlantis, sure, I could maybe believe in, but some sort of, like, magical city. I'm like, no... No, 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 no. Well, let's learn about the history of it today, shall we? Uh, If you like this channel, if you like what we do here, kind of, you know, mysteries, urban legends, the unknown, cryptids, all that stuff, with a little bit of a sceptical tone from yours truly, please consider subscribing to this channel. It means a lot. Or subscribing to this podcast, indeed. Share it with a friend. That's a nice thing to do, isn't it? Leave a review. All of that good stuff. Plugs over. Let's jump in. I've never read that this before. That's the format of the show, by the way. We're all going to learn something together. Let's go. Ancient cities hidden in the jungles of South America or spending the rest of eternity on the ocean floor, lost civilizations have fascinated mankind since the days of Plato. Spanish gold, precious stones, and priceless sculptures keep treasure hunters funded, if the movies are to be believed, and every discovery of a pottery shard or the ruins of a temple is making an archaeologist... archaeologist... It's not that hard to say, is it? Dream come true while causing endless delays for commuters and construction crews who really just want to finish that highway that they've been working on for the last 10 years. Yeah, I <laughs> I hear this, um, like, nothing is worse for, like, a construction company. They're like, yeah, finally, we're getting started on this house. And it's like, oh, no, we've uncovered a pottery shard. Ah, oh, come on. And then the archaeologists come in, they dig it up, and it's like, five years later, you can finally build your house or something. I just be like, don't close your eyes when digging. Close your eyes! You see nothing! The dream of utopian cities filled with advanced technology and superior beings have been with us for centuries. However, as the new world lost its shine and the world just became small, and the world just became smaller, undiscovered lands and civilizations became harder to find. It's like that, uh, that brilliant movie, The Truman Show, where he's like, they're asking, and he's trapped in this everyone knows what the truman show is right but it's jim carrey's character and he's trapped in a bubble and it's a reality tv show and he thinks like he never leaves the island and uh, the teacher asks him what do you want to be when you grow up truman he says i want to be an explorer the teacher just pulls down a map of the world and it's like too late it's all been discovered and it really has instead mankind turned to the stars to find their ideal civilization on planets yet to be discovered but but give the Enterprise a chance they'll get there. No, they weren't. It's not real. Or past, or a past so distant any trace of its existence has long since disappeared. One such place is the fabled lost city of Atlantis. We've all heard the tales of Atlantis. Some stories claim the Atlanteans were alien, arrivals from the Lyrian star system around 50,000 years ago. They had advanced technology and lived for 800 years. Oh my god. 
Wow, I bet there's loads of evidence to support that. There was a war. Atlantis was destroyed and the survivors fled to Agatha. Noah was an Atlantean, for those of you who didn't know. Oh, I didn't know. God, I'm so glad that I've been formed about that. And also about Noah being definitely not fictional. Others believe that Atlantis was the original Garden of Eden and the Atlanteans were angels. <laughs> Which Ilza is writing as angles. <laughs> I'm assuming it's angels. It'd be weird if they were angles. Atlantis was a space ship that crashed into the planet. The Atlanteans had supernatural abilities to control the weather, and if you ever felt like you don't quite belong, don't worry about it. You're probably a descendant of Atlantis or a reincarnated Atlantean, of course. <laughs> oh, look, your little theory makes people feel like they fit in when they don't fit in, and that appeals to them. Look, oh, look, is that how is that how this works? Yes. In fact, there are so many conspiracy theories about Atlantis, we'd need to dedicate an entire channel to Atlantis to cover them all. And don't get any ideas, I'm not doing that. After we're done with today's episode, which is beastly long, I'm going to be done with Atlantis. No more Atlantis, no more bullshit. What I do like, related to Atlantis, is Stargate Atlantis. The, the second, the, there was Stargate SG-1, then there was Stargate Atlantis, and they were in a different galaxy on this big, it was kind of, it was a big city that was also sort of a spaceship called Atlantis, and it was awesome. Loved that. However, after some reading on the subject, I despaired for the future of mankind, so if you want to learn more about Atlantis conspiracies, I feel you need to do it in your own time. Instead, I started wondering, what is the real story of Atlantis, and is there any fact to be found in the fiction? Sunken cities are nothing new. The rising sea levels of the last few thousand years and human intervention may have left many a city under hundreds of meters of water, some so well preserved that they became tourist destinations, bringing in money long after their demise. So, today we'll explore the lost city of Atlantis and determine, once and for all, whether there is any truth to the tale and there might be like i look forward i look forward i, I like doing these episodes because even when we're talking about like demons and like aliens and shit i'm always like i enjoy like dumping all over it but i also like when we get to like this actual potential real history here because i don't know the reality is just more interesting in my opinion not than fiction fiction's fascinating but like fiction presented as facts i just find like come on come on come on it's silly isn't it the Story of Atlantis The Story of Atlantis was written by Greek philosopher Plato, who lived from around 428 to 348 BCE. We don't know much about Plato's early life, but we do know he was born into a wealthy and politically active family, which is why he had the luxury of being a philosopher as opposed to being a farmer or a tradesman. <laughs> yeah, it's like philosophy. I feel like even this is... Is this still true today? To be a philosopher, I guess there's like academic philosophers, like ph philosophers who do like proper philosophizing and teach philosophy. But I also feel there's probably like a disproportionately large number of philosophers who who have like, you know, they're independently wealthy. They're family money or some shit. <laughs> because, right? <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of my ass. I could be. I could be. Philosophers could be highly paid. Maybe they found, like, their, their niche in, I don't know, what could a philosopher consult on? <laughs> like, how could they involve themselves in the financial sector and make some money? I don't know. Plato was of the opinion that people would be allowed to follow a philosophical argument to its conclusion, but most people enjoy story. So he used stories to express his philosophical ideas. Two devices come up a lot. Plato often used dialogues in his writing, most often involving Socrates, and many of his stories use myths, either existing myths, or if there wasn't one available to see whatever he was talking about, simply create his own. This is a fairly important detail that many Atlantis believers overlook. This is a great way to educate people. Like, 
I really feel like turning history and stuff or like morals or philosophy into stories is way more interesting than I don't know because some philosophy it's like and this because of this and this because of that and when it's like and then John did this and John felt like that and Peter was like this and Paul was like and then you're like okay cool I like a story Everything we know about Atlantis comes from two dialogues, the Timaeus and the Critias, written by Plato around 360 BCE. Most scholars agree it was supposed to be a trilogy, but the final dialogue was never written. Why it wasn't finished is a mystery. The dialogues are presented as a conversation between four people, Socrates, a philosopher of note, Timaeus, Critias, and Hermocrates, a general from Syracuse. And I'm sorry, I know, I know all the philosophy people are like, Simon, first you say that we don't have jobs and now you mispronounce everything. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. At least we're talking about it. It's doubtful this conversation ever happened, so the dialogues are fiction, but all the participants, except for Timaos, were real people. It's entirely... is The one that I really don't know how to pronounce, Timaos, is the one that is most most needed to be pronounced. <laughs> Brilliant. It's entirely possible that Timaos was real, but there doesn't seem to be any record of him. Critias was related to Plato, but he had a bit of a sordid history. He was the ringleader of the Thirty Tyrants, a pro-Spartan group that took control of Athens after Sparta defeated Athens in the Peloponnesian War in 404 BC. BCE. I'm not going to go into detail about this. Good. <laughs> if you like, and now we're going to talk about the Polynesian War for half an hour. No, not why we're here. Get to Atlantis. So it's just advice today that they were called the Thirty Tyrants for a reason. In 403 BCE, Critias was killed. The fact that Critias, a statesman with great potential who was corrupted by greed and finally killed in an uprising, tells the story of Atlantis is definitely not a coincidence. Yes, because Plato is using stories to get his point across. Doesn't mean the stories are real. According to the dialogues, the story of Atlantis was told to Solon, an Athenian statesman and poet by Egyptian pe- priests in Sais during his visit to Egypt. Solon then passed the story to Dropides, the great-grandfather of Critias, and Simon is totally lost. I'm like, okay, so the story's getting passed around. And the story was passed from one generation until the next until Critias shared the story in the dialogue written by Plato. We'd, so it was a story that was passed down generation to generation Then Plato, that Plato possibly made up. Okay, look, this isn't real, guys. Solon was a real person, however, none of his surviving works mention Atlantis. Critias insists a few times that the story he's about to tell is completely true, and many Atlantis believers claim the story is true because Plato said it was. However, Plato said no such thing. The character, Critias, was the one who said it. And he's a character! The tale begins with Solon's visit to Egypt, where the priests inform him that the Greeks know very little about their own history and have long forgotten one of the most remarkable events, the Athenian defeat of the Empire of Atlantis around 9,000 years before. Beyond the Pillars of Hercules, out in the Atlantic Ocean, was an island the size of Libya and Asia combined. When the gods divided the earth among them, Poseidon was given the island of Atlantis. The idea was that the gods would mold and guide mankind, but we all know how that turned out. Anyway, Poseidon fell in love with a mortal woman, Cleto, and the two had five pairs of twin sons. Oh my god, what a nightmare. <laughs> Can you imagine having four sets of twins and being like, well, we want one more kid. Twins again? God, no! 
In order to make the hill that was home to Cleto secure and to keep herself, Poseidon created a separate island by breaking off the hill from the rest of the incredibly large island, creating concentric circles of sea and land around this acropolis. Since boat building and sailing was not a thing yet, these channels were impassable for the time being anyway. Eventually, the citizens of Atlantis would build bridges and roads, as well as channels to allow ships from the Great Atlantic to reach the center islands. But I'm guessing by then Cleto wasn't around to need protection anymore. Being a god, though, Poseidon enjoyed his comfort, so on this acropolis of theirs he created two springs, one warm and one cold. So, people really think this is real? They're like, Plato said this is real. Plato is a real philosopher. He, he's just, and he, he, he's making up a story about gods who created islands and shit. Obviously, it's not real. He knew it wasn't real. It was a story. It'd be like J.K. Rowling being like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I made up this Harry Potter story. And like many years later, people thinking it was real because J.K. Rowling was real. What the fuck? Rowling? Rowling? I know one is right and one is wrong, but I can never remember which. Good news, I don't care. Once these pairs of twins were grown, Poseidon divided the island into ten portions. The eldest son, Atlas, was made king, while the rest of the sons all served as princes, each ruling a portion of the island. For many generations, the descendants of the princes ruled not only Atlantis, but other islands and lands in the Mediterranean that they also conquered as far away as Italy and Egypt. Atlantis was an empire of such wealth that had never been seen before and would never be seen again. The islands was fruitful, providing everything the inhabitants needed. Food, perfumes, timber, precious metals. <laughs> everything one needs. Timber? Yes. Ah, but how could I live without my perfume? How could I live without my precious metals? Among them, a metal called Orichalicum, or mountain copper, a metal that couldn't be mined anywhere else. The island was also able to support an abundance of rare and exotic wildlife, even herds of elephants. The ancient world really had a thing for elephants. Of course, all of these resources meant that they were a mercantile power to be reckoned with. On top of all of that, just to make sure that no one came to mess with their bounty, they had a well-trained and well-equipped army. The city was breathtaking to behold. Buildings were built with stones of white, black, and red, some in a single color, and others with detailed patterns. The outer wall of the city was covered in brass, the inner circle of the city was covered with din, and the Acropolis itself was covered with mountain copper that gleamed like fire. And all of this is entirely possible because it's a story. It's like, yeah, how big was that? It was the size of the pyramids and made of solid gold. It's like you could say that because it's made up. It's not real. And this is the thing. I'm like, the, the idea of historic Atlantis existing as a city from history, potentially. Sure. The idea that we're going to discover this Atlantis with this big bronze wall with copper on the inside and some elements that we've never discovered before. It's like, please. <laughs> In the center of the Acropolis was a temple to Poseidon and Cleto. The exterior of the temple was covered in silver, except the roof spires. Those were covered in gold. Inside, the roof had the appearance of ivory, with patterns of gold, silver, and mountain copper. The remainder of the walls, floors, and pillars that weren't already covered with something were covered with mountain copper. The temple also contained a golden statue of Poseidon tall enough to reach the roof on a chariot driven by six winged steeds and surrounded by a hundred Nereids on dolphins. <laughs> Just throw that in there. What's that? That's people riding a dolphin. It's doing flips and shit. Around the temple were golden statues of the ten princes, their wives, and a whole lot of descendants. In short, when the sun set, you could probably see the reflection from the moon. Throughout the city, 
the people of Atlantis lived in wealth and comfort. They had access to springs, baths, temples, a racecourse, and gardens, chief among these the sacred grove to Poseidon. The city itself was surrounded by a plain, which was encircled with mountains, man-made rivers and channels, irrigated farmlands, and allowed for the transport of fresh produce and timber to the city. Didn't we say that the city had all the timber? Wasn't that one of the things, along with perfume, that they had? And have no fear, the people in the countryside lived in as much wealth and comfort as those in the city. Where are all the people doing the menial ship who's cleaning out the who's cleaning out the sewers who's cooking the food who's being slaves and shit this was the past people couldn't people needed this <laughs> they had like lots of uh, i don't know dirty bars to clear out and like peasants to look down on initially always well the people of atlantis were noble gentle wise where are all the stupid people you've got all these noble gentle people we know it works it's like a bell curve there's like you know it goes up and then in the top it's like and then it goes this way for so for all the brilliant noble people there's also the dum-dums where are they <laughs> they were sent to another island where they died <laughs> also noble atlantis despite their enormous wealth they weren't greedy or materialistic however as the dem they weren't materialistic didn't we just describe like all the shit was made out of gold <laughs> and they needed perfumes and precious metals not materialistic huh however as the demigod blood got thinned by mortals things began to change the rulers of atlantis became ambitious and wished to hoard more wealth and power the society as a whole became morally corrupt zeus saw this moral decay and decided to punish the people of atlantis <laughs> sounds like just regular world it sounds like the world we live in doesn't it where's Zeus to punish us for our sins i just like having shit zeus What's wrong with that? I like things. They make me comfortable. He called the gods together and said, well, we don't know what Zeus had to say on the matter because Plato never finished the Critias. Maybe then, and then Voldemort came down. Oh no, the book just, what was that? Was it Douglas Adams? Uh, Salmon of Doubt. He didn't finish that one, right? And it's just, they published it and it just like ends halfway through. And, okay, couldn't you have paid someone to finish it? Just like read the book and guessed where he was going. <laughs> I mean, no. It was, it's kind of, I feel that'd be a bit weird. They did, they have finished books though. People have had book, books finished by, or series finished by other authors, right? I want to say there's that giant fantasy series that was finished by someone else. But the guy who wrote Lord of the, it's about to call, it's not Lord of the Rings. It's not even Lord of the Rings that I'm thinking of. It's that Game of Thrones. Is the new series written by that same, it's not right because he was too slow. <laughs> I don't even know his name. Who cares? Let's move on. Everyone already hates me for hating Game of Thrones. I don't hate Game of Thrones. I just don't find it interesting. Oh, oh my God. However, Plato did give us an outline of the story of Timaus. So we know that the city of Atlantis was trying to conquer all of the Mediterranean. However, the city-state of Athens rose up against Atlantis. Fighting alone without allies, Athens single-handedly defeated the mighty empire of Atlantis, freeing the people already conquered and enslaved. Following the victory, earthquakes and floods struck and mighty warriors of Athens disappeared into the earth and the glorious empire of atlantis sank beneath the waves i'm guessing zeus had something to do with that <laughs> zeus was pissed atlantis in antiquity there's no mention of atlantis anywhere in prehistoric record prior to plato's dialogues now i'm sure there are some folk who would like to argue this point and sure if you look through history you're going to find stories of lost cities and great floods noah's ark comes to mind but the city of atlantis is mentioned for the first time by plato 9000 years after its supposed destruction there's no indication that plato drew on earlier literature and myth for the tale of atlantis at least not consciously writers pick up ideas in the strangest places sometimes but that's a story for another time there are a few historical 
events that could have influenced Plato significantly, but we'll get back to that in just a bit. Only a few writers after Plato, back in a time which we call antiquity, seem to think Atlantis was based on something real. A few mention islands that existed at some point. Aristotle mentions Antelia. Marcellus mentions an island dedicated to Poseidon. Some writers refer to this as Poseidonis. Very original. I know. Diodorus Siculus claimed that the Phoenicians and the Etruscans were aware of a big island just outside the Pillars of Hercules that was very lush and fruitful with mountains, rivers, and forests. Now, you see, this is what I'm talking about. This is where it gets close to being like, okay, so lots of people talk about some big island somewhere. Maybe this, this island could literally be, I don't know, it'd be like just some island that was a bit mysterious back in the day because it wasn't a touch of the mainland. It could be like, I don't know, we recently went to Crete, which is like off the south coast of Greece. Maybe they just hadn't got out that far, and they were like, whoa. And then someone went out there, and they tried to find it, and they like, disappeared. And it's like, did you use your compass correctly? What's a compass? You know, this kind of shit. According to Pliny the Elder, who seems to have had an opinion on everything, this island was located 12,000 kilometers, that's 7,400 miles, from Cadiz. That's a really long way. Especially in the ancient world, where they were like, world is small. Crantor was a philosopher in Plato's Academy who wrote a commentary on Timaeus and believed the story was true and claimed to have seen the pillars in Egypt that contained the story of Atlantis, and Greek biographer Plutarch pointed out that Solon was a real person, and he originally intended to document the story after it was told to him and just never got around to it. Apparently, Solon had spent time with Senephus of Heliopolis and Sonchus of Sais, two learned priests in Egypt, and just heard the story from them. The Greek festival of Pallas Athene or Panathenia celebrates the goddess for saving the city from the nation of Poseidon. Apparently, this cult had been around since at least 125 years before Plato, so the story was already doing the rounds by the time he came along. However, this island is not called Atlantis. There are a few more examples, but the theme remains fairly similar, and while sources range from the Phoenicians to the Druids, it doesn't appear that anyone hopped on a boat to go and find this elusive island. The story pops up here and there from antiquity, but for the most part, no one seemed to consider Atlantis to have been a real place. During the Renaissance, both Francis Bacon and Thomas More drew some inspiration from Plato's tale of Atlantis for their own writing, describing utopian societies in the New World, New Atlantis and Utopia, but neither claimed the tale of Atlantis was true. So, if the rise of the past, from Plato all the way through to the Renaissance, which was a long time later, considered the story of Atlantis to be only that, a story, where does our current idea of Atlantis come from? Well, Simon, I'm glad you asked. Modern Atlantis. In the 1800s, there were a few writers who considered Atlantis to be fact. Brasseur de Bourbourg, a French scholar, was among a few who suggested some relationship between Atlantis and Mesoamerica. They laid the groundwork for what was to follow by making that claim we know so well. It was impossible that the native peoples of Mexico and the Americas were responsible for the beautiful art and the impressive architecture dotted, dotting the landscape. Ah, yes, the classic. <laughs> I was going to say kind of, but no, just, just straight racist. Like, they couldn't have possibly done that. <laughs> They're so backwards. And now we must civilize them. Instead, it made far more sense that these places were colonies of Atlantis, apparently creating a fictional city and ascribing all the art, architecture, and rich mythology of the region to a people that never existed made more sense than just accepting that it was created by, you know, the non-white, non-European, non-Christian people that lived there. How? How could they do this? They have obviously smaller brains. Ah, the past, everybody. However, the idea of Atlantis that we have today really got started with one man, and that was Ignatius Donnelly. In 1882, Ignatius, sick name, by the way, 
Donnelly. Donnelly, I mean, not the Donnelly part, but Ignatius? That's pretty badass. A Philadelphia lawyer turned politician published his masterpiece, Atlantis, The Andaluvian World. Donnelly was of the opinion that Atlantis had been a real place, not just a myth, and Atlantis's Neolithic culture was the origin of all ancient civilizations. Of course, only a few select nations in the world were descended of this mighty Atlantis. Donnelly used a lot of proof for this hypothesis. He claimed that Egyptian and Peruvian mythology was the original religion of Atlantis. He claimed that shared traits in various cultures and the fact that many cultures around the world have similar stories regarding floods and earthquakes could only mean that they share the same ancestral memories. Or, or, I don't know, I'm pretty sure that floods happen in more than one fucking place. And earthquakes as well. Of course, it could just be that every place with a river, a dam, or a sea settled or settled on a tectonic plate may have experienced flooding or earthquakes. Exactly. But that would be a boring explanation. The immigrants from Atlantis spread over Europe, Africa, and the Americas. The first Atlantean colony was probably Egypt. And the Phoenician alphabet, the precursor to most European alphabets, were, was itself derived from the Atlantis alphabet. Mate, do you have any proof of this? Or are you just rambling on about some... Like, this is like historians in the past. But, 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 but just make some shit up and embellish and it's like okay you got you got any sources for that you're just like writing what comes you know you sit down at your desk and you're like you know what i could do i could research but that sounds like it's gonna take more than an hour i'm just gonna sit down and write what comes to my mind just you know just just speculate the past it was the worst there's about 240 more pages of this but i'm sure you get the idea yes we definitely do. Of course, once Donnelly started spouting his theories, many decided to jump on the bandwagon and start spreading their own theories, probably because his book was selling so well. It's like, oh, dude, this guy over in Philadelphia, he wrote this book and it's popping off. It's all these lies that they made up about Atlantis. He was just like speculating about some shit, said it was real, sold that book, and now he's rich. You know what we should do? Continue with this bullshit. Make our own book. Sell that. It's hot. It's hot right now. One of these was Madame Blavatsky. If the episode on Agatha is out, um, which I recently recorded, so I've definitely recorded it before this, so probably. I all recognize the name. Blavatsky was the founder of the Theosophical, that is a word I know, not sure why I'm struggling so much there, uh, society, and wrote a book of her own, Secret Doctrine, where she added some esotericism. What is with me today? Esotericism? Esoteric, that's right, right? And spiritualism to Donnelly's crackpot ideas. So she cracked the crackpot, we could say. She depicted the Atlanteans as heroes, which, if you read Plato's version of the story, is the exact opposite of what they actually were. They were the enemies of Greece and morally corrupt. Blavatsky claimed that the Atlanteans were the fourth root race, the Lemurians being the third, and were the ancestors of the fifth race and most superior of races. Yes, you know where this is going, the Aryan race. Oh, I didn't know where it was going. <laughs> oh, superior of races, I see. I see what we did there. She's turning this into a, into a race thing. Brilliant, love that. The third and fourth root races were full of cosmic consciousness, an idea popular with the New Age movement later on. So... Now that we've mentioned the Aryan race, you know who's next? <laughs> oh no, we go. Let's get to the Nazis. Oh, we do get to the Nazis. I already see his name right there. In the 1930s, Heinrich Himmler and Hermann Wirth founded the Institute for the Study of Atlantis. Apparently, Himmler was a firm believer in whatever nonsense Blavatsky spouted about the fabled Atlantis. We already know the Reich was obsessed with all things occult, so it's no surprise they believed in Atlantis. While Blavatsky certainly was a strong influence, there were other inspirations for the madness. One such person was Jorg Lanz von Liebenfels, who championed Aris Arisophy. Don't know that one. 
the wisdom of the Aryans. Oh shit! And prophesized the revival of the lost Aryan civilization, made up of Nordic godmen. He wrote about these godmen in a magazine called Ostara, which made its way into the hands of a young Hitler in 1909. And Hitler was like, Why am I not like these godmen? Why am I short with the funny hair? I wish I was more Aryan! Which is weird that Hitler did not look very Aryan, right? I think he just had a bit of a man crush on these godmen. In these stories, muscular Aryans defended scantily dressed blonde damsels in distress from terrifying ape men doing whatever ape men do. In the early 20th century, the Nazi party needed some way to establish their own superiority to justify what they were doing. They decided that rooting themselves in ancient mythology of superior beings was the best plan, so they went about shamelessly appropriating any and every myth to help them in this quest. In order to prove the Aryan myth is true and the Aryan race is superior, they needed to find the true history and peoples of the original Atlantis. <laughs> and thus began a wild goose chase. Among the many myths and religions appropriated by the Nazis was Hindu mythology, which they believed pointed to hidden societies of Atlantean secret masters hidden in India and Tibet. They never found these hidden societies. <laughs> what? They didn't? Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that at all. Probably because these societies didn't want anything to do with them and realized that being associated with these loons would be a bit of a PR disaster. However, Himmler wasn't deterred, and in 1938 he sent an expedition under the leadership of Ernest Schaefer, explorer and zoologist, to the Himalayas. Inspired by the work of Ferdinand Ossendowski and the ideas of Hermann Wirth, who claimed the reason for similar-looking symbols in different cultures across the world can be explained by the survivors of Atlantis fleeing to higher places, the expedition was headed to Tibet to find these Atlantean descendants. After some highly scientific research involving measuring people's heads and comparing facial features to a list of Aryan features, they came to the conclusions that the Tibetans were the descendants of Atlantis. Oh my god, how real! How real is that? Because we all know that, like, determining Aryanness by measuring facial features is very, very legitimate. <laughs> What are we talking about? Whether the scientists involved really believed this, or whether they told Himmler whatever he wanted to hear so they could go back to actual science, we'll never know. Also, like, Himmler's this big scary Nazi guy. You'll be like, yeah, 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 sure, Himmler. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Tibet, A Atlantis, Atlantis. Can I flee yet? Can I flee? You still watch? Can I leave? Are these guards gonna shoot me? Himmler, upon learning this, came to the conclusion that the master race had become weaker due to inbreeding with the locals and needed to be purified. A rather terrifying thought in a Nazi, or rather terrifying thought in every, anybody, to be honest. But more terrifying when there's an apparatus behind making that happen. However, Tibet wasn't the only home of the Atlanteans. Another archaeologist, Edmund Kiss, believed in the world ice theory that claimed that the Earth collided with the moon at some point and that the cataclysm that followed destroyed Atlantis and led to an ice age. I mean, okay. Aren't you an archaeologist? Aren't you supposed to believe in, like, facts and evidence and stuff? Archaeology's a science. It's not just like, oh, yeah, the moon crashed into the Earth. So, okay, sure, maybe. Maybe the good could have happened. Weren't the moon and the Earth, like, once together in, like, the history of the solar system? But then it... And then, okay, fine. They could have crashed into each other. Sure, theory. But then that destroyed Atlantis. Mate, do you have any idea how long apart those different time things could have been? From, like, Plato's Atlantis, whenever that was, to the moon and the Earth crashing into each other. 
<laughs> we're doing it. These are, these are really, really far apart time-wise. The Atlanteans, once again deciding that higher is better, fled to the Andes, and Tiquinacu in Bolivia was in fact Atlantis. Apparently, Kiss's work was received very enthusiastically back home and published in party newspapers and youth publications. However, when World War II kicked off, his planned expedition to Bolivia to prove his theory was cancelled because, you know, war. Another big name in the search for Atlantis is Heinrich Schleimann, a German businessman who was fascinated by the epics of Homer, which described an ancient Greek civilization prior to Plato. At the time, the Iliad and the Odyssey were viewed as fiction. However, Schleimann had a different opinion. He was convinced that these stories were based on actual historic events and mythology might contain a grain of truth, so he decided to try and prove his theory. In 1871, in northwest Turkey, he actually found something. Ancient Troy. Or rather, he found the ancient city of Hisarlik, today accepted as ancient Troy. Whether the Trojan horse was real or how much Homer embellished in his account of the war on Troy is still unclear, but Schleimer was proven right. There was some fact in the fiction. Yeah, and I'm always open to this. This is what this is like what I was describing in the beginning, is what I like about decoding the unknown, where we get to the stuff and it's like, yeah, obviously like there's gonna be the, the story of Troy. So much embellishment, so many like bits of fiction and all of that stuff. But it's like it's nice when there's a kernel of truth, because I like learning about that kernel of truth. But if Troy existed, believers claim maybe Atlantis did as well. Yes totally but it's gonna be really disappointing because it's not gonna be like populated by aliens that live for 800 years or whatever it's just gonna be some boring ass island where some people who were a bit different to you lived in 1931, known medium and spiritualist Edgar Cayce, founder of the Association for Research and Enlightenment, joined the ranks of Atlantis believers oh well this guy we can completely ignore because what he does is just is is well known nonsense. He claimed that he had a psychic connection with the Akashic Records, a collection of all universal events, thoughts, words, and emotions that happened or will happen. Wow, he's claiming a lot. Does he have any evidence to back it up? No, of course he doesn't, because it's bullshit. He could see detailed images of Atlantis and its inhabitants. No, he couldn't. And he gave psychic readings to people who he claimed had lived past lives in Atlantis. He also added some extra elements of the supernatural. Atlantis was a highly evolved civilization with ships and aircraft, an impressive feat 9,000 years before Plato. These craft were powered by an enigmatic energy crystal. However, instead of the Mediterranean, Casey claimed that Atlantis stretched all the way from the Gulf of Mexico to Gibraltar and was destroyed around 10,000 BCE in some catastrophic event. To this day, the Association of Research and Enlightenment is continuing the search for Atlantis and claims Bimini Road is part of Atlantis. The rest of the 20th century, and well into the 21st century, saw a library's worth of books, articles, and papers published on Atlantis, ranging from an attempt at pure science to supernatural explanations so fantastical that the authors should consider careers as fantasy novelists. They'll make a bloody fortune. Well, yes, maybe. But I always like, we always say it, I always say it. If you're not, if you've written a book and it's a bit shit, a fictional book. Just label it as based on a true story and it'll sell more because people will be there's loads of crackpot out there who believe this shit. Even Plato did try and pull this shit, but I mean, it worked for him. Like, Atlantis is super popular because people think it might be real. Otherwise, it would just be some story told by Plato. Right? The myth of Atlantis also got wrapped up in other myths of lost continents such as Lemuria and Mu, conspiracy theories about Agatha, and even showed up in one or two stories about Noah. Well, over a hundred years after Donnelly first set imaginations ablaze, the search for Atlantis is still ongoing. The stories that make the papers these days don't focus too much on the supernatural elements. However, a lot of money is made by a lot of people from a story about a city 
that never existed yet. Oh my god, it is like money is so dominant. Like all the time you're like, why is what's the motivation here? It's money! It's always money. It's people just making shit up because they like money. It's not that complicated. Or there's something wrong with their brain. Sometimes that happens. Where is Atlantis? The majority of scholars and academics are of the opinion that the story of Atlantis is allegorical, not historical, and the city never existed. However, some have theorized that either Atlantis was a real place, or if Atlantis wasn't real, then the story was definitely based on a real place. Cataclysmic natural disasters have been around since long before mankind made their way out of their mud, and floods and earthquakes weren't uncommon in ancient Greece. However, since there's no landmass just beyond the Strait of Gibraltar the size of Libya and Asia combined, it definitely wouldn't fucking fit. <laughs> Odds are, if Atlantis existed, it wasn't quite where Plato claimed it was. Also, Island of Atlantis, or Atlantis, whatever, is the size of Asia and uh, Libya. Just throw Libya on there as well, why not? Libya's small compared to Asia. <laughs> Asia's the big continent. The world of the ancient Greeks ended at the Pillars of Hercules. Everything beyond that was unknown. So, is the real Atlantis out there somewhere, or was the story of Atlantis based on events closer to home? Let's find out. Santorini. A popular theory that comes up repeatedly is the volcanic eruption on the island of Thera, better known today as Santorini. Some proponents claim that Santorini, or the nearby Crete, was Atlantis, but others lean more towards the idea that the eruption on Santorini inspired the story but wasn't the actual Atlantis, since that's a fictional place. Seems totally reasonable. Didn't I fucking theorize earlier, after my little holiday to Crete? <laughs> I was like, maybe it was Crete! God, I'm such a big brain. Damn! Our story begins on the neighboring islands of Crete. It was really nice. It was a really great holiday. Nice weather. Stayed in a nice little place. Ate some interesting food. The sea was nice. <laughs> it was a nice little family holiday. A story begins on the neighboring islands of Crete, home to what many believe to be Europe's first great civilization, the Minoans. Archaeological excavations have discovered a sophisticated society that built palaces, constructed roads, and developed Europe's first written language, Linear A. You see, real history is interesting. We don't need Atlantis and all of this made-up shit, because real history is fascinating. This, 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 you could do a whole youtube channel a whole podcast just about this and it would be super interesting we don't need to have atlantis and all that other stuff it's also already history's already interesting <laughs> preserved in the ash much like the city of pompeii many years later archaeologists discovered homes three to four stories high impressive pieces of art and frescoes with bright colors depicting flowers and exotic animals the minoans had highly developed agricultural practices and based on some artifacts probably had cultural and commercial relations with most other cultures in the mediterranean some have suggested that the Minoans might have had a powerful navy that dominated the eastern Mediterranean, possibly collecting a form of tax from surrounding lands, but there's nothing to prove that. Rather, it was a society that gave women equal status to men, highly sophisticated, and likely mostly peaceful. So this brings us to the eruption day on Santorini, about 100 kilometers 70 miles northeast of Crete, around 1500 to 1450 BCE. An earthquake hit the island of Santorini, leading the volcano on the island to do what volcanoes do best, throw a temper tantrum that sent rock, ash, and gas into the atmosphere. Can you imagine you're just chilling out on Santorini? You're like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then there's an earthquake. You're like, oh no, my house has fallen down. That sucks. And then the volcano kicks off and you're like, oh fuck. <laughs> That'd be bad times. Of course, a tsunami followed. Oh, no. Ah, <laughs> oh, tsunami as well. Come on, God. Come on, Zeus. What the fuck, man? 
Wiping out the Minoan palaces and cities along the coast of Crete. Animals, many people's livelihood, were killed in the disaster. Vegetation was destroyed, and irrigation canals were choked with ash. This sudden reversal of fortune was the beginning of the end for Minoan civilization, as what was left was suddenly vulnerable to invaders from the Greek mainland. According to Plato, Atlantis disappeared within a night and a day, so basically instantly. There are only a few geological processes that can cause something like this, and cataclysmic volcanoes? Well, they are one of them. After the molten rock that accumulated just below the surface had thrown itself violently into the air with all the dramatic flair of a Shakespearean actor, the magma chamber, especially if it's very large or close to the surface, can't support its own weight anymore and collapses. In the case of Santorini, it left behind a large hole that filled up with water. Originally, the island of Santorini was approximately circular, but today, all that's left is a thin arc of island fragments. Scientists have compared the Santorini eruption with one we're slightly more familiar with, the eruption of the island of Krakatoa in 1883. A tsunami 36 meters high oh my lord, that's 120 feet, hit the neighboring island and killed 36,000 people. Have you seen those like vi vi uh, videos of that 2004 Indian earthquake tsunami, right? And it's like those waves come rolling in and they're like a few meters high. Can you imagine 36 fucking meters? I just cut that is, that is it's as high as like a multi-story it's like a 10-story building that is absolutely mental for three days after krakatoa blew its top the sky was dark with ash and the explosion was heard 4,800 kilometers that 3,000 miles away and ash from krakatoa was hurled almost 80 kilometers that's 50 miles into the air holy shit man isn't that space when's that carmen line i feel like that's around 80 kilometers or is that 80 miles look it's really high that's you must if you're like some ancient person living there i mean you'd be dead but like you'd be like the world is ending this is the end of the world this must be it's been dark for days everything's destroyed according to the smart people the eruption of santorini was four times as powerful as the eruption of krakatoa Fuck me, for real? Let that sink in for a minute. The resulting tsunami probably traveled over a mile inland, decimating cities and laying waste to the countryside as it went. The Minoan fleet was, would have been sunk almost instantly. In a matter of hours, probably about a day and a night, the sophisticated Minoan civilization was drastically reduced. Four times? Oh my lord. That is devastating there are a number of similarities between the minoan culture and the culture of atlantis described by plato in both cultures women had high political status both cultures started out peacefully though that changed in the case of atlantis and both enjoyed the unusual sport of bull leaping for those unfamiliar with this instead of fighting a bull with spears unarmed men had to wrestle and jump over a bull apparently the bulls on crete had a better time than their future descendants in spain yeah bull hunting is absolutely brutal um i didn't know like i've got a spanish friend and he was telling me all about it and he was like, yeah, dude, there's this guy. It's not just they go in there and they fight it. He's like, there's this dude, he's called a picador. And before, he just sticks some little sharp knives in the bull. And I'm like, why? Just riles the bull up, doesn't it? And I'm like, wait, the bull's going in there. He's going to be upset by a by a dude with a red flag. And the, my mates, my Spanish mates, like, yeah, yeah, but you want it more than that. You want those little knives in there. <laughs> it's like, fucking hell. <laughs> That's so intense. I'm like, why? Well, I'm, I'm like, I eat meat. I love eating meat. But I'm just not not super for, you know, torturing animals. <laughs> just feels a bit unnecessary. Plato dropped Atlantis in the Atlantic somewhere, however, based on what we know about the topography of the Atlantic, this would have been basically impossible. Another detail is that Atlantis was at war with everyone and their canary. The logistics of waging multiple wars over such a distance would be a nightmare. So it makes sense that Atlantis was much closer, perhaps even in the Mediterranean. What, the size of Asia? <laughs> <laughs> the Mediterranean is big, but it ain't that big. However, 
There are people who firmly believe that Crete and the Minoan civilization weren't simply inspiration, it was Atlantis. There are some problems with this, though. Plato clearly states that Atlantis lies in the Atlantic Ocean beyond the Straits of Gibraltar, but Santorini is in the Mediterranean. Atlantis also disappeared 9,000 years prior to the story being told. The Santorini eruption was more recent than that. However, according to seismologist A.G. Galanopoulos, that guy's definitely Greek. This can be easily explained. It's possible that during the translation from Egyptian to Greek, the symbol for 100 was mistaken with the symbol for 1000. That is a small little typo that makes a big, big difference. This would mean that the destruction of Atlantis happened 900 years before Plato, not 9000 years, which would place the destruction of Atlantis around 1300 BCE. The eruption at Santorini is estimated to have occurred between 1400 and 1500 BCE, but honestly, when dating events that happened that long ago, it's difficult to be exact. In the dialogue of Critias, Plato gives very exact measurements for Atlantis. If we change that by a factor of 10, the city of Atlantis fits nicely into the plain of Massara, where Minoan sites have been excavated. Galanopolis is also of the opinion that the royal city of Atlantis wasn't on Crete, but on Santorini, as Crete and Santorini were both just a part of the Atlantean Empire. If you consider the dialogues, this does make sense, as Plato describes islands leading up to a continent. If this is the case, though, the capital of Atlantis would have been obliterated by the blast. Some excavations have uncovered ruins on Santorini that are similar to the Minoan ruins found on Crete, so perhaps there's something to this story after all. Yeah, again, I love this. I love this history. I love the like volcano explosion all of that and it is interesting like with this you're like okay so like with many uh, fictions it's like there's a there's that there's, it's based on truth it's based on something plato heard about or knew about and he's like cool i'm gonna use that as a basis for one of my um stories that teach people a lesson cool why do we have to take it so serious on top of the date and location not matching up to the tale of atlantis there are records that pharaoh amenhotep iii sent an emissary to visit the cities surrounding crete shortly after santorini threw its fit that is supposed to have destroyed the area but the emissary found the towns occupied however we know the minoans survived the eruption they were still around after that for a while but in a much diminished capacity so these reports agree with what we know but if this was plato's atlantis it should have been completely destroyed with no sign of civilization left an eruption this size would have affected the entire mediterranean to some degree it probably made a pretty big impression on the people living through it things that make enough of an impression tend to live on in legends and tales told around campfires eventually the legends could have reached plato who then based the city of atlantis on what he might have considered a fable to me this seems pretty like a pretty reasonable conclusion today santorini is a tourist hotspot and the picture of a mediterranean paradise of course the volcano is still active and had a minor eruption in 1956 don't worry you should be just fine oh my god can you imagine if that ship blew up again that would be mega disastrous for like the whole of southern europe possibly the whole of europe possibly the world like that krakatoa was like didn't it affect like a winter or something and it was four times it was four times bigger than that my lord off the coast of spain the danana national park is a nature reserve in la marismas where the guadalquivir river flows down into the atlantic in Andalusia in southern Spain is a huge park covering 543 square kilometers. While most scientists get excited over the park's unique biodiversity, it's popular with Atlantis believers as well. It's been considered to be the home of Atlantis for decades. Wait, is this a 
is this a like a, a water place like you know where they protect like marine ecosystems or is this on land it sounds like it's on land many ex exploration party have done scans and made sensational claims but at the time of writing this the scientific community relying on facts rather than wishful thinking remains unconvinced it's shocking <laughs> i know however while claims of atlantis have been unfounded so far it doesn't mean there's nothing there after all atlantis is hardly the only ancient civilization in history and spain was a maritime trading hotspot hotspot way back when based on archaeological exploration and analysis of pollens and microscopic remains in the area's sediments there was definitely there were definitely people living in Dalana national park as far back as 5,000 years ago scientists agree that there was a civilization there and that it was most likely greek or roman and this is backed up by the fact that nearly the nearby settlements all have similar characteristics so it's not a stretch to believe they were all linked at one stage while some scientists are also of the opinion that the entire area was once a large inland sea the park was above sea level in the neolithic and copper ages the nearby city of cadiz is also one of the oldest cities in western europe it was probably built by the phoenicians around 700 bce but some believe the city might have been around since 1100 bce of course back then the city was known as gaddies and this makes atlantis believers all giddy you see one of the princes of atlantis gadarius was given the far eastern side of the of atlantis to rule according to this story cadiz or back then gaddies was named after the prince of atlantis yeah that's a bit of a stretch guys isn't it <laughs> there have been many claims about Tartessos being Atlantis, and more recently, German physicist Dr. Rainer Kuhn agreed. Kuhn believes that the Iron Age city in Tartessos in southern Spain, part of the Danana National Park today, was in fact the biblical Tardish and the model for the city of Atlantis. Using satellite images of the area, Dr. Kuhn discovered features that match Plato's description. Two rectangular structures surrounded by what appears to be concentric circles could be the temples to Cleto and Poseidon, built on the Great Acropolis in the middle of Atlantis. However, the structures are a little bigger than Plato's description, so it's not an exact match. Dr. Kuhn is of the opinion that the ancient unit of measurement, the stadia, might have been bigger than we currently accept it is. The plane described by Plato could be the plain that stretches from Spain's southern coast all the way to the city of Seville, and the mountains Plato describes could in fact be the Sierra Morena and Sierra Nevada ranges. Wait, 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 and all of this is based on the fact that, yeah, it doesn't fit by the measurements. So maybe the measurements are wrong, and then we could shove everything in and make it work. Ah, uh, don't like that. The mines, especially in the Sierra Morena range, are rich in copper, and Atlantis, according to Plato, was rich in minerals. Uh, but again, mate, you're basing this all on it seems like okay you're basing it on we're starting with something real well you should be starting based on it's not real it's fiction because plato never claimed it was real it's very strange it's a very strange position to start from furthermore dr kunez of the opinion that the war atlantis was raging against well basically everyone resembles attacks on egypt Cyprus, cyprus and levant all in the mediterranean around the 13th century bce by the mysterious sea peoples however while there are some conflicting reports here dr kune doesn't appear to believe that this is the actual atlantis rather this settlement served as the inspiration for atlantis okay okay fair enough inspiration there we go i do struggle with the like just the measurements being wrong so just saying maybe we got that wrong but again okay okay inspiration maybe pulling up to mickey d's just for drinks oh yeah that's me nothing extra just perfection and a straw coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block because there are drinks then there are drinks from mcdonald's 
Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Dr. Gunnar is not the first to spot what could be the remains of Atlantis, though. Werner Vickbolt, lecturer and Atlantis enthusiast, came across the site when he noticed the rectangles and circles while studying photos of the Mediterranean in search of his beloved, if somewhat lost, city. He's also of the opinion that the word island in the tale of Plato might be a mistranslation of the word coastline back when the story was translated from Egyptian to Greek. The theme of mistranslation is a common one in the search for Atlantis. Another scientist digging around the Danana National Park, Richard Freund, has no problem making sensational claims about finding lost cities in 2009 and 2010 with the use of radar technology, digital mapping, and satellite imagery. An international team of archaeologists and geologists came across signs of a ringed city with canals similar to Atlantis, as described by our favorite philosopher. This site might be as old as 4,000 years. According to geological studies, at some stage, the marsh was a bay and connected to the Atlantic, and there's evidence that tsunamis devastated the area for centuries. According to Freund, one of these tsunamis destroyed the city. Okay, I'm waiting for you to get to the evidence part. He feels that the city of Tartessos, rather than being the inspiration for Atlantis, is actually Atlantis. After the city's destruction, those who survived fled inland. Bryant claimed to have found a number of memorial sites and cities supposedly built by the survivors in Spain. Why? What is your evidence to show that these were survivors of Atlantis? If you got the cities, how the memorials, what do they show that connects it to Atlantis? Let's go. Come on. It was these memorial cities that first convinced Freund that Atlantis was in Spain. I couldn't find much about these memorial sites or cities, though there's no way to prove without a doubt that Atlantis has been found. However, Freund is convinced that the giant structures must come from some ancient civilization that had the ability to work large stones. Dude, this is so speculative. Unless there's some evidence that uh, Ilza hasn't told me about. It's like, what, what backs this up? And I, it sounds like Ilza looked for stuff and just didn't really find anything other than just speculation. The location of the site near the Strait of Gibraltar north of Cadiz fits with Plato's description of the location of Atlantis. Apparently, Plato stated that Atlantis faced a city called Gadara, the ancient name for Cadiz. I don't recall this detail of the story, but sure. Okay, then. Finally, recently discovered ruins around 2,800 years old contains an image carved in stone of what appears to be an Atlantean warrior guarding the entrance to the lost multi-ringed city. I have no idea how they know the warrior is Atlantean instead of, say, Spartan or any other number of warlike civilization that's been around in the past, but I'm sure they have their reasons. Again, it just all feels like speculation, doesn't it? Around 2018, another group arrived to find Atlantis. Merlin Burroughs, a private company, uses historical records and satellite data to find archaeological sites. That is cool. I love that. Using Plato's description of Atlantis and another text they're unwilling to name, which just throws the entire expedition into question, the team came to the very unsurprising conclusion that Plato's account wasn't just fiction, it was based in fact. Okay then, this sounds like a real company, like using technology to look for like real archaeological sites, like with Google Maps or whatever, which is honestly awesome. So what are you up to with this? This is this will be interesting. This feels very legit. The CEO promised that this unknown text will be submitted for fair evaluation in due time, but it doesn't appear that this has happened yet. When was this? Five years ago. I guess you could still be like researching into it and stuff and not wanting to uh, like the archaeological competition to know what you're using and stuff like that maybe? Based on the description of the location of Atlantis in front of the Pillars of Hercules, the scientists decided that Atlantis had to be on the Spanish coast near the Strait of Gibraltar. 
The site, spreading over 160 kilometers, 100 miles from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, apparently saw its demise around 10,000 years ago at the end of the last ice age. According to the team, there were also signs of a tsunami powerful enough to wipe out a city as far as 96 kilometers, 60 miles inland, which is what happened to this particular city. I'm a bit skeptical about that. To my knowledge, mega tsunamis only travel about 20 kilometers, 12 miles inland, but maybe tsunamis were bigger back then. In the center, of a line of coastal cities was a sea containing multiple islands, some of them man-made. The main complex consists of two distinct individual multi-island platforms, one offset from the other, so the view is unobstructed to all the surrounding islands. It's a completely unique configuration, and nothing else in the world resembles it. Apparently, it also matches Plato's descriptions exactly. Once again, I don't recall seeing anything about offset islands, but maybe I missed that part too. I got the feeling Elsa's like, yeah, they, they weren't in there. This is just stuff that people are... There's a lot of jamming in bindings, like being like, yeah, 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 and this fits because of this, right? while you're fucking slamming that circle into that square hole. Using Landsat 5 and Landsat 8, which also provides information for Google Maps, the team claimed to have found structures. One structure could possibly be a sea wall. The team also found large circles they concluded were possibly the bases of ancient towers, ruins of what they claimed to be the Temple of Poseidon, as well as a greenish-blue patina covering some of the ruins, which according to laboratory analysis is a combination of metals. The team also collected samples of cement and sent it to a laboratory in Medina, Italy to get tested. According to the results, the samples were 10,000 and 12,000 years old, older than both the Roman and Greek civilizations, and more advanced. According to Tim Akers, the head of research at Merlin Burroughs, the Atlanteans were so advanced they used metalwork and cement that had never been seen before, and the laboratory analysis supports the idea of advanced metallurgy and cement. However, not everyone is as excited about these finds. According to researcher Jose Villares Robles, if the cement really is 10,000 to 12,000 years old, the samples would place the city in the Paleolithic and post-Paleolithic times, the time of hunter-gatherer societies, well before anyone thought to build cities and engage in agriculture, cattle breeding, and maritime trade. On top of that, Merlin Burroughs was unwilling to state which tests were used to test the cement, and instead of submitting their findings for peer review by fellow scientists, they skipped ahead and immediately announced their findings through a press release and started work on a documentary. This just feels like, you go, it's academia. It's not, uh, sure, start a documentary, but that's like us be, that's like asking me to take Ancient Aliens, History Channel, seriously. It's not a peer-review academic thing, and that's what you should be doing if you're serious about this. You should be doing it at the same time. Sure, make a documentary, but you've got to submit your um, your scientific research and findings for outside review. It's part of the process of, you know, discovery. I don't believe you. My opinion, it's not real. So once again, the idea of Tartasos influencing Plato and perhaps acting as the inspiration for Atlantis isn't out of the realm of possibility. However, in my humble opinion, Atlantis is not on the Spanish coast. Like in the earthquake wars, this isn't just a city, rather it's a combination of factors, but in my opinion, it's the most likely source for inspiration for Atlantis. What is? Oh, he likes, sorry, the title of this, uh, this section. Assuming that Plato was inspired by something, archaeologists started looking for he like as early as the 1950s, but the first ruin of a real importance was found in 1995, and excavations only really began in 2000. Since excavations and research are still ongoing, we don't know as much about Helike as we know about Santorini or Spain. Between 469 and 464 BC, a major earthquake hit Sparta. Earthquakes were quite frequent in ancient Greece and often had 
political repercussions. The quake caught the Spartans completely unaware and killed more than 20,000 people. This immediately caused internal and external uprisings against Sparta by all the peoples that it had subjugated and finally led to a war between Sparta and its neighbors. Athens offered assistance, but Sparta refused, and this led to some hostilities between the two city-states that culminated in the Peloponnesian Wars, a 25-year-long bloody civil war between Athens and Sparta, starting in 431 BCE. In the summer of 426 BCE, a major earthquake hit north of Athens. These guys just never catch a break. A Spartan army camped about 100 kilometers, 62 miles west of Athens, was getting ready to attack, but they were forced to retreat. The destruction wreaked by the resulting tsunamis was disastrous for Athens. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, if you're outside and stuff. I know earthquakes are bad, right? If you're inside, you know, especially back in the day, when your buildings are not really like earthquake-proof and all that stuff, it's going to be a bad time. But if you're like outside, I feel like, oh no, I fell over. <laughs> but then the tsunami comes, and that is uh, that is worse. Like you, that doesn't seem like it's going to work out well for you. Buildings collapsed and thousands of people died. An island called Atlante, home to an Athenian fort, was destroyed. Athens was already experiencing epidemics and wars, so this was a near-crippling blow. The Peloponnesian Wars finally ended around 404 BCE, but a formal peace treaty was only signed in 387 BCE. However, in 373 BCE, another violent earthquake, accompanied by a tsunami, destroyed the city of Helike on the southern shores of the Gulf of Corinth. He like was the capital of the Achaean League, a confederation of city-states, and revered as the center of worship for Poseidon. The Grove of Poseidon, if that rings a bell, it should, as Atlantis also had a renowned sacred grove to Poseidon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I was like, it should? And then I realized we definitely talked about this earlier. My bad. Uh, I was second only to the Oracle of Delphi when it came to sanctuaries. Helike, Helike, I don't know. Helike was a flourishing city, and unlike some of its neighbors, yes, Athens and Sparta were looking at you, it was decided it was dedicated to promoting peace and harmony with its neighboring city states. <laughs> that sounds like you've got these city states, and it's like, hey oh, we love peace and love, man. Peace and love, yes, come join the hippie commune. And it's like, and your neighbors are fucking Sparta. <laughs> It's like they're going to be like, we're having you, mate. We'll have your city. We'll have your money. We'll have your women. And then, uh, yeah, that's um, no more peace and love, is there? So in 373 BCE, a earthquake hit the city, destroying every building right down to its very foundations. A tsunami flooded inland. It drowned the city and covered the grove of Poseidon until nothing could be seen but the tops of the trees. Apparently, Poseidon decided to drop in and take a look at this grove up close real close. When the wave retreated back to the sea, it dragged the city and all of its inhabitants with it into the depths. At the time, it was believed that the city was punished by Poseidon for defiling his sanctuary. Now, Plato was born around 427 BCE, so he would have been in his mid-50s when Helike was lost in a single day and night due to the wrath of a god. The dialogues were written in 360 BC, so only 13 years after the disaster. Sure, Helike was nowhere near the size of Athens described in the dialogues, nor was it out in the Atlantic. It was practically on Plato's doorstep. But it's sort of a great inspiration, isn't it? However, if you combine the sinking of Helike with the war against Sparta and you toss in an island fort called Atlante a year after Plato was born, I think you have these seeds for the story of Atlantis. Exactly. Exactly. And hasn't the history been more interesting? Haven't we had a good time learning about this? Some other locations. These are just the three places that I think might have influenced Plato. However, if you close your eyes, spin a globe, and point, odds are someone has claimed it to be the final resting place of Atlantis. While Santorini, Helike, and even 
Tartessos in Spain seems somewhat plausible for the inspiration of Atlantis, many other claims are a little absurd. Antarctica was apparently at one point nice and temperate, but once it moved to its current position due to tectonic shifting, the Atlanteans were forced to leave. Yo, tectonic shifting and all this shit is way, 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 that's really far in the past. I mean, for the Ant- Antarctic to move to where it is today. No. Ireland matches Plato's description of Atlantis, so they say. The Yonaguni Monument, discovered in the 1980s off the coast of Japan's southern Ryukyu Islands, has been mentioned in Atlantis circles. The Eye of the Sahara, or the Richat structure is an impressive natural rock formation that's so big it can only be seen from space. However, it consists of concentric circles and someone stumbled across rock paintings and the remains of elephants, so, well, it must be Atlantis. Apparently, no one expects to find elephants in Africa. What was the ancient people's fascination with elephants? The Bimini Road, the Bermuda Triangle, the Canary Islands, the Azores off the coast of Cuba, Troy, the Black Sea Flood, all are possible sites for Atlantis, and believe me, the list goes on. That time, Google Earth found Atlantis. I do like when people discover shit on Google Earth. It's really like that's if I had time, I can imagine being into that, just looking around Google Earth, trying to find interesting shit, seeing cool things that people have made, because there's so much data there. It's really crazy. However, human beings aren't the only ones finding the lost city of Atlantis. Google Maps also got in on the fun when, in 2009, aeronautical engineer Bernie Bamford discovered Atlantis. Bamford was just chilling out in front of his computer, playing around with Google Ocean, you know, Google Maps for the ocean, when he made an amazing discovery. Not bad for a day's work. I didn't know Google Ocean existed. I assumed it was just, (laughs) if you wanted to use Google Ocean, you just went on to Google Maps or Google Earth and just looked at the ocean. But okay. According to Bamford, he spotted a network of crisscrossed lines around 990 kilometers, 620 miles, off the coast of northwest Africa, near the Canary Islands, on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. He described the area to be about the size of Wales, which apparently is a standard measurement in the UK. Everything is about the size of Wales. Is this the case, Simon? Of course, much incitement ensued. I don't know. I feel like, well, the Americans always say, like, Rhode Island. It's always like, I read a script from one of my American writers, and they'll be like, that's about the size of Rhode Island. And I'll be like, okay. <laughs> I've no, I don't even know where Rhode Island is. Anyway, is it a state? Is it a state? It sounds kind of like it could be, like, one of those places that is an island but a state, like Hawaii. No, it's probably not. I feel like Rhode Island. I feel like I'd know if that was a state, at least, right? Like, states are big. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, we use Wales. You could say it's the size of Wales. I know how big Wales is because I'm from the UK. It'd be like about the size of England, about the size of Scotland, about the size of Wales. Of course, I understand that. Uh, it's like but, uh, is Rhode Island. I've no. Is that ten times the size of Wales? Is it the size of the? Is it the size of France? I have no idea. Rhode Island is in. Sometimes you know you name a U.S. place like Chicago, and you're like Illinois. Like, it gets that vibe, you know, because you've seen it so many times, like in movies or whatever, and you're like, I think, you know, you get those vibes. I want to say Rhode Island is in Connecticut. I couldn't point to Connecticut on a map, but it feels like, feels like they go together. Hey, Siri, what state is Rhode Island in? Oh. Web results, Siri, that's not what I want. Rhode Island. I can't, I can't not look this up. I'm sorry, guys. Is in the New England region. That's not a state. What state's it in? Just tell me the state. Oh, it is a state. Rhode Island is its own state. <laughs> and it's not even an island. Wait, is it an island? It's not even an island, America. What the fuck are you on about? It's the smallest state by area. It doesn't look that small. Oh, because that's mega zoomed in. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right, Rhode Islands. There you go. I learned there's a new state. <laughs> I mean, it's not new. It's probably one of the oldest states. Fascinating tangent, Simon. All the Americans are screaming like, <laughs> It's obviously a state, Simon. It's obviously a state. It's the greatest state. 
It's not in Connecticut. Where the fuck's Connecticut? That's in New England, right? However, Google was quick to rain on everyone's parade. In a statement, Google explained that the grid pattern was, in fact, an artifact of the process used to collect data about the ocean floor. Oceanographers use sonar to map the ocean floor. The sound travels through the water, bounces off the seafloor, and travels back to the ship. The process creates a sound image of peaks and valleys on the ocean floor. Online mapping tools take different sonar surveys created by different agencies and stitch them together, piling them up on top of each other in layers. Together, these maps provide a picture of the ocean floor. However, some areas have been mapped in more detail than others. The grid pattern you see on online mapping tools is two or three different maps layered on top of each other. Then, in 2012, Google just spoiled everyone's fun when Google Earth released a major update and everyone's favorite city that wasn't disappeared yet again. Yeah, but this is a conspiracy. Google are in on it. Atlantis is real! Now, all of this excitement was 10 years ago, so I imagine that updates have followed since, but for a brief moment in time, Google Maps was so effective that it found Atlantis. Of course, the conspiracy theories couldn't let it go, and theories abound of Google now covering up the discovery of Atlantis. Oh my god, <laughs> I made it up and it's true. <laughs> Despite leaving the crisscross grid up for three years, apparently the Illuminati is up to something beneath the seas northwest of Africa, and governments of multiple nations are all working together to cover it up. To the conspiracy theorists' credit, though, it doesn't seem as if this particular theory is supported all that much, so there might be hope for mankind after all. Just because we haven't found it doesn't mean it isn't real. So, we haven't been able to pinpoint an exact location for Atlantis yet, but some people maintain that Atlantis was real. There are other ways to prove it, and eventually, Atlantis will be found. So let's consider some of these pieces of proof. The Younger Dryas period keeps popping up in all tales about Atlantis. So what exactly was it? Oh, it hasn't popped up so far, has it? Okay. I feel like, what, and we're an hour and a bit into this. We don't know what started the Younger Dryas. There's been a lot of theories, many involving comets, but we do know that for some reason, around 12,800 years ago, towards the end of the last ice age, something disastrous happened. Whatever this disaster was, it led to extreme cooling, especially in the northern hemisphere, returning some parts of the world to glacial conditions. Essentially, it pushed back the end of the ice age a little bit, then around 1,200 years later, another catastrophic thing happened. We don't know what this was either. This caused the meltwater pulse B. Once again, many theories blame comets or a massive solar flare. Regardless of the cause, the consequence was the melting of the remaining ice sheets around 11,600 years ago that ended the Younger Dryas and raised sea levels around the globe. Many coastal settlements were covered in as much as 120 meters, that's 400 feet of water. From an evolutionary perspective, humans living around 11,700 years ago during the Younger Dryas period at the end of the last ice age would have been pretty much the same anatomically and physiologically as we are now. In the history of the world, this is actually fairly recent, which might explain the number of myths dealing with the devastating floods found in every culture, the sinking of Atlantis, the Epic of Gilgamesh, the story of Noah's Ark, to name just a few. So, while there's no proof that Atlantis was among those coastal civilizations that were destroyed in this disaster, if Atlantis did exist, the Meltwater Pulse B event could explain how it managed to sink, perhaps not within a single night and day, but definitely in a fairly short period of time. This timeline of events matches up very roughly with Plato's Atlantis. Then there's the shipwreck. Look, I'll be honest, I get excited about your old shipwrecks probably because I'm a writer and lost treasure and shipwrecks tend to go hand in hand. Yeah, it's pretty cool, right? Discovering like old ships on the floor. I like that. In 2017, off the coast of Sicily, near the city of Gila, a new expedition to a 2,600-year-old shipwreck dating to around 600 BCE found 47 ingots of oricalcum. Uh, that rare alloy smelted on the island of Atlantis, and I'm also sure in other places as well. An earlier expedition back in 2015 recovered 39 ingots of the metal, as well as two Corinthian helmets. 
the ingots found on the shipwreck were made from zinc, charcoal, and copper. However, the orchocum from Atlantis was apparently made of copper, gold, and silver. I'm fairly sure when I read the story, orochalcum was mountain copper mined in Atlantis, not an alloy of different metals, but I don't understand metallurgy, so I might be mistaken. Well, no, you don't mine. I guess you could mine. Can you mine alloys? Like stuff that's already mixed together? I guess it's possible. Is that possible? I guess that must be possible. But, um, okay. Either way, the metal found in the shipwreck had a red tone, which does match up to the description of mountain copper used to cover every surface of the temple to Poseidon and Cleto that wasn't covered in gold, silver, or ivory. Orichalcum was described as gleaming like fire, so at least we got that one detail right. Now, a big criticism of the story of Atlantis, according to smart people, is the idea of an entire continent simply going missing. Many are of the firm opinion that something like this isn't possible. Well, you might be wrong. Cities go missing all the time, and continents can and have gone missing as well. There'd have to be small continents, though. I feel this would be a really long time ago. I don't feel like a continent has gone missing in recent, in modern his modern history, like in the last thousands of years, tens of thousands of years, right? Like islands, sure. Big islands, yeah. Continents? Like, if Australia disappeared, you'd be like, where's Australia? Welcome to Australia. It'd be like a major world-ending disaster if Australia disappeared. Not because, like, we'd miss Australia particularly, I'm, I'm sure. Not, nothing against Australia is great. But, like, whatever wiped it out would be, like, if an asteroid hit Australia and just sunk it. The Earth is fucked, right? Because that's a big asteroid. Admittedly, not in a single day and night, but if we consider Atlantis being inspired by something that happened rather than a literal city that sank, we don't need to rely on a single day and night for the Great Vanishing to occur. In the time our planet has been hurtling around the sun, not just one, but multiple continents have gone missing. So how exactly do you lose a continent? In the case of Greater Adria, I'm picturing it as a sibling rivalry gone very wrong. Around 140 million years ago, yeah, a really, really long time ago, this is pre-humans. Um, Greater, right? <laughs> humans are what yeah no this is way, way what am i talking about that's like tens of thousands Seventy thousand years not millions dinosaurs were like 17 million years ago <laughs> so obviously we're goddamn sirenies small brain sometimes sometimes you get those you know it's like you've read it a thousand times like about you know the wet how long ago things were but it's such vast periods of times that it's almost hard to comprehend so you kind of forget where they go on the scale but, like I said, it's been a really long time before co uh, since continents disappeared. Look, Greater Adria and Europe began to collide. Greater Adria sadly lost the match and in the process got bulldozed by Europe and finally sank beneath what is today Italy, Greece, and the Baltics. Apparently, colonialism is older than we realize. <laughs> Geological colonialism. Geologist Dal van Hinsbergen published his research in the Journal of Gondwana Research, claiming that Greater Adria is roughly the size and shape of Greenland. Of course, Greater Adria isn't the only continent to go missing. Two other continents we've lost are Zealandia, which is of which only the islands of New Zealand and New Caledonia remain, and Mauritia, a lost continent under the islands of Mauritius that possibly made up part of Madagascar and India. Analysis of ancient rocks suggests that almost all of Earth's earliest continents have disappeared by now, so sorry, skeptics, but it's entirely possible for a continent to sink. Yes, of course it is. But, like, 100 million years ago, and over millions of years, millions. Finally, many people also use the reference to an advanced civilization to say that Atlantis wasn't real. However, the idea of a society that was technologically advanced for its day is not that far-fetched. Yeah, I mean, the Mesoamerican cultures and stuff, they had all sorts of cool stuff. I mean, nothing compared to what we've got today, obviously, but obviously, you know, before we all talk to each other, technolo technology developed at different paces. I mean, you can look at some tribes and stuff today that are isolated, and it's like, well, they don't have mobile phones and all that shit, do they? It's like, obviously, there are, you know, 
different levels of development. Now it's all much, it's all evened out because of globalization, but you know, it wasn't always like that. Ancient peoples were often far more advanced than we give them credit for. Now, I'm not talking about precise machinery, building the city, or technology that appears advanced according to today's standards, but consider something like the aqueducts of Rome, the pyramids of Egypt, the Baghdad Battery. Nah, the Baghdad Battery was probably just a, a lucky accident, in my opinion. Did we make a video about that? I made a video about it somewhere, and I'm like, eh, this wasn't a battery. It was just some, some like, accident. Like, I don't think they intended to do that. Or the Antikythera mechanism, which is real and intended and crazy. A device dating about 2,000 years that was used to precisely determine the position of planets and stars for navigation. I've done a video about that somewhere and it's awesome. Our ancestors knew more about technology than we sometimes realize. So while Atlantis didn't have flying machines, a society that appears advanced when compared to their neighbors isn't entirely impossible. Why Atlantis probably wasn't real. As romantic as the idea of Atlantis is, it wasn't real. I'm sorry to break this to you, but there's more proof that Atlantis never existed than proof that it was real. Our first clue lies with Plato himself. Plato was first and foremost a philosopher, not a historian. The story of Atlantis is at its core, a device to illustrate a moral argument. Modern Atlantis enthusiasts often forget the point of the story, Athens defeating Atlantis. In the story, Athens is considered the ideal city, inhabited by the ideal citizen. Atlantis, on the other hand, is a proud, impious people, the exact opposite of our God-fearing, idealized version of Athens. On top of that, Atlantis is described as powerful and advanced, an empire that's conquered multiple nations all across the Mediterranean. However, Athens, standing alone, still manages to defeat this mighty empire and free all of the lands from her slavery against incredible odds. Athens, not Atlantis, is the real hero. In the end, after being defeated by the Athenians, Atlantis is destroyed by the gods for their hubris and general moral decay. And at this point, it brings me back to that whole like thing that went on in the beginning. And it's like, this is a story that Plato told, and I find it bizarre that people think otherwise. Most of Plato's tale is obviously fiction. The god Poseidon isn't real. The exact conversation penned down in the dialogues probably didn't happen. Even one of the participants in the dialogue was a real person. As for the non-fictional elements, the story doesn't contain anything Plato couldn't have gotten the idea from in his own time. The Persian invasion of 480 BCE, where the Greek city-states, with Athens being the most prominent, defeated a powerful army and freed others from Persian oppression. In fact, the idea that the Persians were defeated due to their own hubris was accepted in Plato's time. Then there was the earthquake and tsunami that shook Greece and destroyed the city of Halyk in 373 BC. The city plan of Athens shares some similarities with Babylon. And, and rather advanced harbour works were happening in Syracuse. According to one classical scholar, Rodney Castleton, the government and political setup of Atlantis is very similar to Syracuse in Sicily, which Plato visited. However, his experience in Syracuse wasn't great. Plato and the ruling tyrant didn't get along, so it's not surprising that Plato would use it to model the aggressor in his tale. Yeah, look, Plato's pulling all of these elements from his own time and knowledge and experience and making a fictional story from them. It sounds familiar, like other people who write fiction. <laughs> it's not history. The reference to Mount Copper or Orichalcon is the only thing that Plato probably made up. If you take the time to read the actual story, many of the Atlantis theories do not hold up. Atlantis was sophisticated and powerful, yes, but Plato doesn't describe any technology that wasn't around in his day. Plato places his story in the Greek equivalent of once upon a time in a galaxy far away, 9,000 years in the past and beyond the pillars of Hercules, so well beyond the familiar Hellenic world of his time. This means the story takes place 
place thousands of years before Athens was even founded. No empire or army existed yet. By placing events so far in a path that can't exactly be either proven or disproven, Plato is creating a separate reality. Referring to Solon, a well-known historical figure in Plato's day, lends a little more credibility to his story. The fact that Solon heard the story in Egypt, a place with an even longer historical memory than Greece and considered to possess all kinds of arcane knowledge already forgotten by outsiders, adds an extra layer of credibility. Plato is just creating a story that seems credible in order to get his message across. Plato also mentions that back in the days of Atlantis, the Atlantic was navigable. However, in Plato's day, the Atlantic had become inaccessible, so Atlantis is a faraway place that can never be reached. Finally, Atlantis isn't the only city destroyed. Athens, too, loses their warlike men who sink into the earth. Atlantis is punished for their wickedness, but what did the Athenians do wrong? Well, nothing. This is just a device that Plato uses to create a clear distinction between the mythical past when a group of warriors could defeat an empire the size of Atlantis and the here and now. By destroying both groups, the story is placed in a definite before time. Plato is creating a myth. Yes, he is, and he knew it, and he said it. <laughs> The one and only original source for the story of Atlantis is the dialogues written by Plato 9,000 years after Atlantis' destruction. There's nothing to suggest that Plato was using pre-classical mythology or history for inspiration. Do you know what I call a highly advanced civilization conquering half the world, suddenly sinking into the ocean in a single day and night? Memorable. Somebody would have made a note of it somewhere, yet nothing like that has ever been found, and ancient Atlantis is not the only missing piece. There's no record of a prehistoric Athens 9,000 years before Plato. Greece is one very thoroughly excavated country. If there had been any remains of a city that long ago, it would have been found by now. Atlantis was supposed to be a maritime merchant of note, yet there are no trade records of Atlantis trading with anyone, and the records used by the Egyptian priests in Sice never been found. Critias mentions that he had the whole story at home in an old manuscript, a very popular literary device, just saying, yet no trace of this manuscript has ever been found either. A city that size would have left something in its written records for us to find. Plato describes Atlantis as an island larger than Libya and Asia combined. That's a pretty large landmass. As we've seen, continents can go missing. However, we found Greater Adria, so they don't go missing forever. There are also plate tectonics to consider. In before times, we only had one supercontinent, Pangaea, which then broke apart and separated. If you look at a map, you'll notice that the coasts of Africa and Europe light up pretty well with the coasts of North and South America. If there's an extra continent the size of Libya and Asia combined, where does it fit into this puzzle? It's true that the ocean is deep, very deep, and we've only explored very little of it so far, but if you consider all the lost cities, civilizations, and even continents we have found, not to mention all the resources that have been spent by amateur archaeologists looking for Atlantis, someone should have found something by now. Yet despite people's best efforts, Atlantis is still missing. Mystics like Blavatsky and Donnelly pointed out all the similarities that would prove an Egyptian-Mayan connection, but conveniently ignored the many differences. Yeah, this is. there's been lots of things in this episode where I'm like, this is factual history, this is myth, this is fiction, and this is people just bullshitting and trying to capitalize on something that they that is bullshit, like the mystics, the mediums, all that noise. Fuck that. The Mayan calendar looks very different to the Egyptian one, and if Atlantis did colonize both Mexico and Egypt, you'd expect the two places to have more food, plants, and domestic animals in common. The Mayans also didn't have the plow or the wheel. Surely if you were off colonizing places, you'd import some of your amazing technology. <laughs> These people don't have the wheel. Ah! 
let's leave them without it now of course you'd be like guys guys let me show you something really good this is gonna you're gonna be very impressed by this can you imagine showing the wheel to someone who didn't know about wheels their minds would be fucking blown they'd be like oh my god it's so simple but jesus christ that's amazing let's go down a hill fast on top of all that, the Mayan civilization only rose up around the beginning of the Christian era. By that time, Egypt was thousands of years old. Comparing languages doesn't help either. The sound combinations humans are capable of aren't infinite, so it's not surprising that different languages have similar sounding words that occasionally have a similar meaning. However, if two languages are related, they should have a large number of words with similar sounds and meanings, not just two or three. Many Atlantis believers also claim that old world languages have been found in the Americas. However, for some strange reason, they never say where exactly these finds were made, and if they do, and a proper investigation ensues, it usually turns out to be something completely different. At the end of the day, every single location discovered so far is an almost exact match, or in very optimistic cases, an exact match to Atlantis. However, in every instance, facts had to be adjusted or ignored in order for the discovery to fit. Dates have to change by a factor of 10. The location has to change from the Atlantic to the Mediterranean, the Pacific, or the Sahara. A single day and night has to be interpreted as a longer period of time. We're talking about millions of years. And the stadia used as measurement by ancient Greece might not quite be the length we think it is. People keep using the words exact match. But in the words of one of my favorite movie characters of all time, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means oh i know that but what's that from oh why is that from ah oh, it doesn't matter let's carry on conclusion it's entirely possible that the story of atlantis was inspired by actual events we've looked at quite a lot of possible events in historical record that could have been the inspiration and anyone who's ever had to sit through a fishing tale knows that it's human nature to exaggerate every time the story is told the fish or in this case the catastrophic events becomes bigger and bigger until our fishermen single-handedly caught a small whale and a large highly sophisticated and technologically advanced society disappeared beneath the ocean waves in a mere night and day the idea of a lost city is very romantic and it's not entirely far-fetched there are plenty of sunken cities like thonis heraclean discovered in egypt in the early 2000s which yielded treasures to give us an insight into what the world was like before unfortunately finds like this get very little news coverage outside of academic circles however slap the word atlantis on an archaeological find and you've got reporters beating down your door and your find is on the front page of every newspaper and documentary crews are lining up for the rights to make your story and the funding is streaming in the fact is the atlantis of plato has never been lost it's still where it has always been in the works of plato the atlantis of donnelly and the one everyone is looking for never existed at all by chasing this mythological atlantis we're completely missing the point of plato's tale we're assigning godlike qualities to a morally corrupt society that was wiped off the face of the planet by the gods for considering themselves to be above the laws of their gods it wasn't an enlightened society it wasn't a golden age or something we should be aspiring to it was pretty much what we have today just smaller with better ocean views fresh air and apparently elephants frolicking all over the place we shouldn't be trying to recapture the magic that was atlantis we should see it as the warning it was meant to be and rather strive to do better yeah Plato would be so disappointed in us and that's where the episode ends off thoroughly thoroughly debunked and like i said at the beginning i'm done with atlantis for a while now thank you for watching or listening if you like this show subscribe if you're listening as a podcast please leave a review and i'll see you next time
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.